As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So, Matt, the other day we were at a restaurant and this waitress came up to us and I noticed her name tag said J-K-M-N-O-P. And I had to ask her how she pronounced that. How do you think she pronounced her name? (laughs) J-K-M-N-O-P. I know this one. (laughs) It's Noel. (laughs) Noel! Yeah. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody. Here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight? Hey, I'm great. It's Christmas. Yep. Yep. We uh, we decided we were going to drop this one on Christmas Eve for you guys. Um, don't worry. You'll have another one tomorrow as well. Uh, <laughs> That's it's, right. It's the Christmas season, so we thought we would uh, do everybody a solid here. This one's going to be a, a shorter one. It's not going to be a full-length episode. It'll be close, but... Not quite. And then you got a full episode that you're going to drop tomorrow um, for everybody. So we just got so many stories, Matt, that we decided we need to do this. We need to give everybody an extra one. You know, I mean, there's going to be people sitting around tonight, you know, Christmas Eve doing some right. stuff. So why not give, give them an episode? Hey, that's right. And, you know, this way you guys can truly celebrate the old Victorian Christmas tradition of sharing ghost stories around the fire. Mm-hmm. And this, I can't think of a better way to do it than tuning into Graveyard Tales and, and having us read you some good old-fashioned ghost stories. Exactly. Let us do it for you. Um, so real quick before we get into it, got to say check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com um, and want to let, let everybody know that at the end of this episode... We'll start our outro, but then I'm going to stop it. And we got a song sent in to us that was written for Graveyard Tales that I'm going to play um, when uh, when the outro comes on. So be listening for that. And I'll put um, the artist's name and everything in the show notes so you can go down there and check them out and the title of the song. 
Um, also, want to say if you look over my shoulder here, um, you can see our dang elf. Um, I don't know how <laughs> how many of y'all do the elf on a shelf, but um, he decided. Yep, he decided he was going to show up in the graveyard today. Um, and you can't really see it because of the camera, but it says Graveyard Tales Listener Stories 2020 on the front page there of his thing. And then he left me another note that I'm not too happy about. He said, I love Graveyard Tales. Um, can you get me Matt's autograph? He is awesome. <laughs> so our elf likes you better, Matt. So, <laughs> of course. Why not? Yeah, well, it, it's probably because I'd, I'd yell at him for getting into stuff all the time. What, what is y'all's elf's name? Elfie. Elfie? Yep. How how uh, original? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm teasing. <laughs> no, our, ours is Cookie. Cookie. Yep. And Cook, Cookie's been coming to our house now for probably about uh, five or six years. So. Yep. Yep, he's Elfie's. getting a little long in the tooth in elf years. So, <laughs> yeah, Elfie's been around here for a while too, and pretty destructive this year. Um, found our toilet paper hoard, got into it. So, he, he's on my my crap list. That's probably why he wants your autograph and not mine. Yeah, Cookie plays nice most of the time, so <laughs> we we don't really have to worry about it. That's good. He do, he does just like all elves seem to have a affinity for toilet paper. So <laughs> yep, I don't know what it is, but um, also before we get into it, um, Matt, have you seen the ads for the new Pixar movie called Soul? I don't think so. Okay, it's coming out either end of this month or beginning of next month um, on Disney Plus. And it's a Pixar movie about the place that your soul goes to wait before it becomes reincarnated. Huh. And How cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I want to see it real bad. Uh, Michael really wants to see it. So I thought I'd share it with you and everybody else. So if you got Disney Plus, it's going to come out on Disney Plus. Look for Soul by Pixar. And... You know, obviously, it's going to be funny and have the the cartoon Pixar stuff to it. But um, watch it, and and I, I'm interested to see how closely it relates to our reincarnation research yeah. and all that. And it they talk about it being a place where the soul goes and hangs out until it gets born into a body. So I thought it was very interesting that they're doing that now. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I'll have to check that out. Probably find the trailer online. Um, but yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, and, uh, and kind of a unique idea. Cause that's one thing we didn't, we, we didn't really touch on in the episode is yeah. what, what do you do when you're waiting to be reincarnated? Yep. And we may need to, um, you know, go back and do another reincarnation episode. Cause there's a lot more reincarnation stories than we were able to fit into that episode. You know, oh yeah, yeah, um, tons, tons. So really compelling stuff. Yeah, so we might go back and touch on it, and then we can talk about that in between space where the soul waits. But we've prattled on for a few minutes now, so why don't we go ahead and get into this, Matt? You want to tell everybody what we're doing if they didn't know already? All right, you, you've you've asked about it all almost all year, and it's finally here. Um, 
tonight is our traditional Christmas episode, and we we are celebrating that that tradition of telling ghost stories around the fire on Christmas Eve, and we've we've talked about this before. Um, the you know the winter uh, is it's one of these times where you know it's cold, it's dark, and and you know the 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 veil has thinned and it's the holidays are a time where people sit and reflect on loved ones who have passed and you're just more in tune with the spirit world and what better time to share some of those stories than at christmas and so when we first started the show we uh we decided that we would we would do this and give it a shot and you guys blew us away mm-hmm. and every year since more and more listeners have sent stories in and this year you have absolutely flooded us with some fantastic stories that we're going to share with you tonight so many that we're you're getting extra episodes because we can't cram it into one exactly so thank you for that number one Yep. Um, but number two, this is something that Adam and I thoroughly enjoy. Oh yeah, because it's a it's a way for us to connect with you guys, and it's a way for you guys to be a part of the show. And you know that that how we started this was hey it was just two guys sitting around talking. Well, now it's two guys and. Maybe about 5,000 others. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, well, you know, we love doing it, and we love the fact that you guys join in and send us your stories. Yeah. Um, so, Matt, why don't we go ahead and get into this? All right. So, let's roll out the first uh, the first story. All right. So, this first one uh, was sent in by Katie, and Katie, I edited this a little bit for time, um, which we did most of these, um, so... If there's a little bit missing or whatever, I apologize. We just needed a little bit of extra time. So um, that that's the reason why. But Katie says, I grew up in a 200-plus-year-old colonial farmhouse in New Jersey. My family first moved there from Italy in the 1920s and bought the 48-acre farm for only $3,000 during the Great Depression. At that time, The house and grounds were overgrown and worn with age. My family worked together to restore it. The farmhouse had 22 rooms and four floors, including the cellar. Not a basement, a cellar. It stands in a historical town where a small Revolutionary War battle was fought just down the street. The cannonball from a British cannon still remains in the wall of the Quaker house to this day. Every house in the little town has its own history, its own stories, and its own ghosts. Every October, the town has a ghost walk, and they share stories and history of particular houses, including my family's. The earliest part of the house was built sometime in the 1700s, which we called the Old Kitchen and considered the most haunted. In the late 1800s, as records began, a rich family from New York built onto the Old Kitchen, making our house their summer home away from the city. Their family lived there for two or three generations before my family bought it. When I was growing up, 
there were five people in my house, myself, my older sister, my mother, my father, and my grandfather, and our dog, Cleo. Four generations of my family have lived in this house, myself being the fourth generation. The most common apparition we have all shared is the shadows in the hallway. My great-grandmother and my uh, grandmother, my mother, my sister, and I have all seen the same shadows in the same places. We would be washing dishes in the kitchen, and out of the corner of our eye, we see something in the far hallway peeking around the doorway watching us. We've also seen the shadows of people on the walls and doors outside the rooms we are sitting in. We had one room that has always been called the spook room because it's where we've seen the most activity, not just family, but friends and company as well. It was the room my great-grandfather died in, sitting in his chair while feeding wood to the fire. He died in his chair. He was also a very heavy drunk, she says. My grandmother would tell my mother that she would see the shadow of her father moving along the walls of the spook room or peek around the doorway or hear his footsteps on the pine wood floor, she says, which creaks a lot when no one else was home. It could be my great-grandfather, but we can't really know. We assume that our experiences we've had are past family members, but others have lived there since the 1700s, so we can't be absolutely sure. Now we have come to my favorite part of the story, she says, and probably the scariest one of them all. My boyfriend at the time, now my husband, would come and visit me for the weekends. We lived two hours away and would alternate weekends visiting each other. Although I was 22 and he 24, my parents would not allow him to sleep in my bedroom, so I set up an air mattress on the old kitchen for him to sleep on. In the old kitchen is the door leading to the cellar, the second oldest part of the house, and another door leading up to the great-grandparents' bedroom. That morning, I was the first one up and came down to see my boyfriend asleep on our living room couch instead. I wake him up asking what he was doing on the couch, and he told me that while he was attempting to fall asleep in the old kitchen, which he told me later he already had creepy feelings about, but was trying to be polite, there was a sound coming from the cellar. He said he looked towards the cellar door and heard footsteps coming up the stairs, and they stopped at the door. Even though the cellar door was locked on the outside, he said he saw the knob jiggle. He knew that we were all asleep since he and I were the last ones up watching a movie. No one was down there. To this day, he cannot talk about it without turning pale, and he said at the time, from now on, he would sleep on the couch or outside in his car, that he will never go back in that room. But his experiences didn't end there. My grandfather died in 2001, and I turned his bedroom into a guest room for my boyfriend. He told me that one night he woke up to someone shaking the bed. He assumed it was my grandfather showing his displeasure over having an unmarried man sleep under the same roof as his unmarried beloved granddaughter. Uh, my boyfriend just said, hi, Grandpop Sam, and the shaking stopped. After that, whenever my boyfriend would stay over in that room, he would say, good night, Grandpop, and never experienced it again, even when he moved in to live with us. He would hit the perfume patch too and he would gag so perfume patch you know of someone in the hallway once mm. he moved in oh, okay okay uh my grandparents allowed him to sleep in my bedroom he said that one night he was awake on his phone and saw a pair of eyes looking at him from the stairway leading to the fourth floor which can be seen from my room he told me that he got up closed the bedroom door and slept with the covers over his head he told me in the morning asking if he thought it was my grandfather, 
But I told him I didn't know because I had never experienced a set of eyes on the fourth floor steps, nor has anyone else in my family witnessed that that I know of. So that's a lot of activity for one house. Man, you are not kidding. I I mean, and you know, we've talked about this with my experiences. You know, my whole family had experienced them. But until somebody from the outside comes in and validates that and has similar experiences, it's really tough when you share these kind of stories. Yep. You know, and and for him to started having these experiences, not being a family member, but yet really getting those those interesting experiences. At that, I mean, to me, that just validates everything you've been hearing. Oh, yeah. You know, from from the family. Yep, exactly. Pretty cool. Thank you, Katie, so much. Great story. Yep. All right. So our next one comes from Charlotte. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to get into this one. So Charlotte says, I want to start with the fact that I'm kind of sensitive to energy and what I call small shifts in the universe when something is about to happen. When I was little, I saw my mom's doppelganger when we were on a vacation in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. That's what I mean by being sensitive. But she says, that's not the story. It's just giving you a baseline. I was at school in Chicago, and I shared a bedroom with three other girls. One of my roommates told me a story about how our room was haunted and that she encountered the spirit or being a couple of times. The layout of our room was as such. Upon entering the room, the bathroom was to the far right, with two sinks below a mirror between the bathroom and bedroom door. Just past the separating wall, there were two beds, a half wall, and two more beds. My bed was the farthest from the bedroom door, against the wall with the only window. On the left side were four closets, separated into two sets of two by a desk. One weekend, I was the only one of the four of us who stayed on campus. It was Friday night, and I was in bed around 10 o'clock. I don't know what time I fell asleep that, that night, but I was awakened by something. I do want to say that the window was closed. There was a gust of wind, almost like with leaves swirling upon it, and I heard a spooky voice saying, yes. Yes, at 22, I had, I had a stuffed bunny I slept with, but I hugged it close while laying prone in bed, fumbling with my phone to turn the flashlight on. I didn't want to move until I could see and the offhand chance there was something or someone in the room. Once my flashlight was on, I sat up and looked around. I got out of bed and crept to the bathroom, looking behind the door and in the tub, behind the shower curtain, under the sinks, and under the desk. There was nothing in the room, just me. The whole weekend, I had the light above the bedroom door on all day and night. I told my roommate who told me her experiences with the spirit or whatever, and she agreed with me that it was the same being that she encountered. To this day, this story gives me goosebumps, and this happened just over six years ago. So, you know, a, a really, really great, and thanks, Charlotte, for sharing your story. Yes, thank but, you. But, but a, really, um, a really interesting situation that, you know, we've shared before where 
you you actually hear an audible word. Yeah. Not necessarily a bump or a creak or or something like that. An actual word. And you know, I've always I've always felt that when you actually hear a word or your name that that is more apt to be someone close to you. But on a college campus, you you wouldn't necessarily think so un- unless it was you know a, a spirit of a loved one that sought you out or or were somehow attached to you. to you yeah yeah you know but if other people had experienced the same thing you know there's there's no telling what it is yeah but exactly when, when you're alone and you hear a voice you know it's always a scary thing yeah it, at that point it doesn't matter what it is it, it, you know it, that's it, right you're alone and it needs to stop <laughs> i i would rather it be a spirit yeah <laughs> another human exactly <laughs> exactly all right so the next one we got comes from rob and rob says hey guys i've been a law enforcement officer for 20 years in south florida the last 10 of my career have been spent in the violent crime and homicide unit and just wanted to share an on-duty story with y'all well rob thank you for your service and what you do and i love on-duty stories oh yeah they're great So he says, back in 2007, I was assigned to the Community Policing Division. We were tasked with drug and other crime issues stemming from abandoned homes. One of these houses was known by the local cops as the Bird House. Originally built in the early 1920s as a private residence, it was approximately 6,000 square feet and three stories tall. The residence was later turned into a private elder care facility in the 1970s before it closed in the late 90s. The house was referred to as the birdhouse as the roof was damaged and birds had moved into the attic and the third floor of the residence. My partner and I were checking the inside of the birdhouse for trespassers and had cleared the interior from the first to the third floor. I was on the east side of the house holding the stairwell and my partner was clearing the rooms. A partner came running across the house yelling at me. He said, very funny. You scared the crap out of me. I asked what he was talking about as I had not left the stairs on the third floor landing. And he said he had seen what he believed to be me walk by the room, look at him and run off. I laughed and said, nope, bud, not me. He swore someone else was in the house because we were the only two in there. I called for the rest of the team and met them on the first floor. There was one stairwell, so we went down and watched it until they until they got there, making sure no one came down behind us. We methodically checked the first floor. We heard someone walking heavily on the second floor directly above us. The rest of the team heard this and knew someone else was in the house. We left one person at the stairwell to make sure no one went up or down while we were checking. We methodically checked the second floor. We all heard someone now walking on the third floor. Again, directly above us. We stopped in our tracks and listened to the footsteps traverse the third floor hallway directly above us. We again left someone at the third floor landing by the stairs and checked the third floor. No one was there. We we now all, to a person, heard someone again on the second floor running down the hallway, including the guy watching the stairs. We again checked the second floor. No one there. We were standing talking about how to box this unknown person or persons in. 
they had to be getting biased. But how? This all came to an end um, while we were making a plan to box said person in. We heard someone walking in the room just west of our location. The person was walking toward the closed door where we were all standing. We opened the door, guns drawn, and no one was there. I then lost half the team to them fleeing the house, using choice words not safe for broadcast, scared out of their minds. Needless to say, we never went back inside that building. It was taken over and demolished by the city a few months later. I would have loved to dive into the history of this place, but it's now gone. We still get together all these years after and wonder what exactly was in the birdhouse. That's oh, awesome. Man. Yes. I mean, you know, an entire group of officers. Right. In a house and they all are experiencing the same thing. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love that because that, I mean, again, we talk all the time how, you know, police officers, firefighters, military men, they all... I mean, they're trained observers, and they have something to lose by telling this story. So, exactly right. you know, Rob, thank you so much for sending that in. That's awesome. Um, we we absolutely love hearing these, you know, on duty stories and all that. And and you know, I've I've had enough friends who worked in law enforcement to know that if if something weird, crazy happens to you. You know, the rest of the guys never let you let it down. No, not at all. So if you've got some ridiculous thing that happens, you're going to hear about it for a long time and and just hope you don't get tagged with a nickname, Mm -hmm. you know, from it or something. But, um, you know, when you got a group like that and they experience something like that and you, you have to be like, what are, what are we going to, what are we going to say? Yeah. Well, what are we going to say about this? But Adam's right. You know, you, you got a reputation, you know, and you're thinking, oh, man, you know, we all got spooked in this house, but mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Matt, this uh, this next one here is our last one for this short Christmas Eve episode. So why don't you get, get us into this one? All right. So this story comes from Shar. Shar, what a unique name. I had a, I had a buddy growing up who had a sister named Shar. I I've, wonder I've if not, it's the same one. I've not I've not heard that before. Uh her and this is this is makes number 2. So. so anyway, Char says, "I'm writing to tell you about my first paranormal experience, at least the, that I remember, with a haunted doll when I was 5 or 6." Eesh. But but before I get to that, I need to give you some backstory. I was born in Arizona and moved to Oklahoma when I was 10. I'm almost 50 years old. And thought I should get these stories documented before everyone who was there is gone. I'm the youngest of four girls with an 11-year difference between me and Marla, the youngest before me. One Sunday, when I was a baby, I drowned in the bathtub. If I can find the newspaper clipping, I will send a copy and will know exactly how old I was. The best guess is between 9 and 18 months old. My sister Carla put me in the bath and asked my older sister, Darla, to watch me for a few minutes. When Carla came back, I was underwater. My skin had turned black from head to toe, and of course, I wasn't breathing. Wow. Darla was in the bathroom, but didn't hear Carla ask her to watch me. 
She was either washing her hair in the sink or blow drying her hair is all I can assume. So Marla would have been around 12, Carla around 14, and Darla around 16. My mom wrapped me in a towel and was screaming, crying, and trying to find her car keys to drive me to the hospital. My sisters were outside trying to get help. Now remember, this is a Sunday morning. Here is where it gets strange. Both next-door neighbors and our neighbor across the street stayed home from church that Sunday. Mr. Cox from next door started doing CPR on me as my mom had made it outside at this point, and Mr. Bloss from across the street is switching off with him. Mr. Cox told my sister he felt compelled to stay home from church that day, and even though he hadn't missed Sunday service in years, he stayed home. Meanwhile, Mrs. Barry from next door had talked to my mom out of driving me to the hospital. Mrs. Barry had called 911, and the ambulance was on its way. When the ambulance got there, the paramedics loaded me and my mom up and resumed efforts to resuscitate me. We were almost to the hospital when I coughed up some water and started crying. The paramedic working on me said, oh, thank you, God. All of this is according to my mom, as my dad was gone on a hunting trip and wasn't due back until that evening. I tell that story because I feel like that experience has caused me to be more sensitive to spirits or paranormal activity. So here is my first paranormal experience that I remember and the most traumatic. And that's to cut in. That's pretty true because a lot of people who have had NDEs or have legitimately died and been brought back do say they now have a connection to paranormal activity on the other side. Right. You you. You cross that barrier even briefly. Yep. And and something sticks with you. It's almost like yep. you 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 know, you, you you have an open window to the other side. Right. So Char goes on to tell us the story of the haunted doll. One day, my best friend Tammy and I were playing in the mud in my front yard making mud pies. There were three trees in my yard with the middle one being a fat short palm tree, which was our quote-unquote oven for the mud pies and where I had my Raggedy Ann doll on duty making sure the pies didn't burn. I put a pie in the oven then walked back to the mud hole we were making in the yard which we got yelled at later. I sat down and looked up and there was the doll in the other tree. I don't know what kind it was but it was good for climbing and had big leaves. The doll was straddling a branch with a small bowl of mud between her legs and both hands in the bowl. I looked at Tammy and said, that's cute. She looked at me and said, what? I said, the way you put Anne in the tree with her hands in the bowl. She gave me a funny look and said, I thought you did that. We argued for a few minutes, neither one of us believing the other. We finally convinced each other, and we ran down the street looking for Tammy's older brother while he was at a friend's house. He didn't believe us. But we went back with a group of older kids, and she had moved again. Now, I understand at this point it could have been someone pranking us, but it would have been hard for them to do it with us in the yard and not be seen. But as the story goes on, a lot more happens. I can't honestly remember where she moved to when we got back. She was either hanging from a rope, or we, or we hung her, and the older kids started hitting the doll like a pinata. I didn't want to. I was scared, so I went in and told my parents. 
They didn't believe me, and while I'm crying, telling them it happened, my sister Darla calls me a liar and gets the doll from the front yard and comes in and shakes it in my face. I lost it, screaming and crying and hiding behind my dad. So my parents take the doll and put her in their room on their bed. They go bowling with Tammy's parents, and I stay at Tammy's house across the street. With the parents gone, the older kids went to go see the doll. Tammy and I refused to go, but at least five kids go over to my house while Tammy and I wait impatiently for them to come back. They came back and said the doll is not on the bed. Now it's on the dresser in my parents' room. A little later, our parents are back from bowling and I have to go home. We get home and the doll is in the living room. Again, it's possible that the doll was moved, but I don't think many kids could have kept it a secret for the last 45 years. But that wasn't the end of it. The next thing I remember, we were having dinner, and my sister leaves the dinner table but doesn't make it into the living room. She stops at the opening to the living room, scared. The doll has moved again. While we were eating, it moved to the top of the big console TV. There were marks in the dust on the TV screen where the doll had gone up the TV. Yeesh. My sister sits back down and my mom is trying to distract me while my dad tells her to be quiet. We, we all leave the table. The doll is no longer on the TV. We look around and she is sitting beside the TV in a small doll-sized chair that was mine as a toddler. Now, here is the part I didn't know until a few weeks ago. According to my mom, my dad takes the doll back to their bedroom on his way to the bathroom. He sets her on the dresser on his way by. He goes to the bathroom in their ensuite without shutting the door, and when he comes out, she had moved again. He took her, wrapped her in a bicycle chain, and then locked her sitting up in the backseat of the car. The next morning, she was laying in the back seat with the chain off. Mm. My dad burned her in a trash can in the backyard before I woke up that morning. Amen, brother. (laughs) This doll was old and tattered, was missing an eye, and her red yarn hair was a mess. No one knows where I got it. I don't remember, and my mom says she didn't buy it and has no idea where it came from. Good grief. Why Why is it always these Raggedy Ann dolls? I don't know. Because, you know, I don't know. That's, that's what Annabelle is. Yeah. The, the real one is a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about. I, maybe, you know, Matt, maybe that's something we need to look into and our listeners need to look into is, was there something with the Raggedy Ann doll factory? Like, was the Raggedy Ann doll factory in a haunted location? Um, was, you know, the owner of it practicing, you know, black magic <laughs> from the old ones or something? <laughs> yeah, they were putting voodoo hexes on these dolls before they left the factory. <laughs> yeah. In each foot of a Raggedy Ann doll is a, a, yeah. a script of some voodoo witchcraft or something. It is. You know what? I've never even considered that. But, I mean, that may be worth looking at. 
because you know, as I said, the 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 actual Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll. Yep. And it seems like when you when you start looking at these haunted doll stories, not maybe the famous ones other than Annabelle. Um, when you start getting into a lot of personal experiences with with haunted dolls, they turn out to be Raggedy Ann. Right. So I mean, there maybe there is something to it. it. It's it's really strange, and you know, Raggedy Ann dates way back. You know, I'm yep. not I'm not sure when when Raggedy Ann dolls became a thing, but I, I know I well I know this. It, it's it's got to be you know as far back as like the 30s and 40s. I, I'm assuming probably because yeah. I mean I know that you know my mom had one when she was growing up. And, you know, my mom is almost 70. She'd probably yeah. shoot me for telling y'all that. But, <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, it, it's, you know, they're pretty old. And, you know, it wasn't like a big mass produced thing where, you know, there were multiple places that were popping out Raggedy Ann dolls. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. Uh, but, yep. uh, you know, a great story, Char. Oh, I yeah. mean, you know, a lot of people don't have, you know, they, they, they'll they have a story where maybe the doll moved or it was, you know, it was here and now it's there and that was really scary. But for it to have moved so often and so quickly. And so many people have noticed it. Right. Even the people who didn't believe in the beginning noticed it. And now, you know, they're burning the thing in a yeah. trash can, which I would have done, too. So, you know. Yeah, I know we usually tell you don't don't burn stuff cuz you can release whatever is is trapped in there. Yeah. But that would have been my move too. Oh yeah, I mean it, it's all good and everything to say don't do something, but if you got the crap moving like that, your first thing is I'm burning this SOB and I don't care. You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) Uh, If any of our listeners are, you know, history buffs or or get into research and stuff, if you feel like it, we're interested, too, and we may do some digging when we have time. But look at look up where Raggedy Ann dolls were first uh, uh, manufactured. And let's see if we can find as as a as a Graveyard Tales family. We can make it a, a a thing. See if we can find where they were manufactured and what the history of that place might be and see if there's some correlation as to that and why Raggedy Ann dolls seem to be the more haunted of the dolls. That's right. Yeah, you've heard you heard it here first. It's a Graveyard Tales investigation. Exactly. <laughs> we're we're going to dig into the history of the Raggedy Ann doll and where they were made. And if you see any TV shows doing this you know they stole it from us and i want you to <laughs> start yelling at them now if you see them doing it and, right. and and sue them or something we'll start a class action lawsuit trademarking this <laughs> but thank thank you everybody for sending in the stories um tomorrow there'll be another episode out with a whole bunch more and yep. um, we just wanted to give you a little taste tonight so i hope we wet your whistle there you know bon appetit and all that or uh, bone apple teeth as some people say um but we, we hope it uh it, it helped out for your christmas eve yeah so merry christmas everyone thanks for joining us tonight and uh 
until tomorrow. Yeah. We'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 